to pour out your spirit upon us in this service. We pray to Heavenly Father that you, you would continue to lead us, guide us, instruct us, challenge us, and change us by the power of your spirit, God. We surrender ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I definitely don't want to stop anything that God might be doing in your lives. So if you need to stay right where you're at, you will not bother me. Stay right where you're at. Let God continue to work on you. Jeff, you want to get those props? I have some props today. I'm just serving. Get myself ready. I've already went through like a box of these today, so who knows what's going to happen now. Uh, let's see. I have too many notes and too short a time. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to improvise and we're going to let the Holy Spirit take over and we'll just get where we get. How's that? Uh, can I have a couple guys grab that little white table over there? And uh, I'm going to set these things, this table up right here, and we're going to use these two little props right here. It's going sh- to close off my stage a little bit. I apologize because it's not going to be in the center. You know, so this side is the favored side today. I went back and forth with uh, a title to this message. I'm going to go ahead and give that to you right out off the bat. I'll set it right up here, guys. Thank you. Yep, right up on the stage. Yep, just right up front. Awesome. All right, how many of you can see what those two things are? Let's do this because this, this thing's more impressive this way. Yeah. Woohoo! Don't anybody get any crazy ideas now. crown and a sword a crown and a sword my message or my title uh was gonna have something to do with a crown and a sword and I kept going around and back and forth and the more I prayed that the title got longer and I'm like god that's too long of a title it's got to fit on a little thing you know and so I kept going back and forth and then I this saying dropped in my head don't get it twisted some of you immediately went to Tupac started thinking about his song, Don't Get It Twisted. <laughs> Others of you went to Gwen Stefani and started thinking of Don't Get It Twisted. I'm like, well, God, I can't be having people getting confused. And then I'm like, oh, Don't Get It Confused. So the title of the message today is Don't Get It Confused. And God is so faithful to us. He's done some awesome things already this morning. And I don't know about anybody else, but I think he did those things just for me. So there you go. Uh, I'm going to give you some staggering statistics. Anybody like statistics and numbers and stuff? I'm not real great with numbers, but when I, when I see statistics and things like that, I, I do like them. And um, I've wrote these down in all kinds of different places. For some reason, I ended up with two different notepads. I don't know what happened. Pastor Jack, I blame you. Uh, <laughs> hopefully he's watching live on Facebook Live. How many of you, how many of you have watched us on Facebook Live? Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Skip, thank you for doing that. 
Uh, we're also on Roku TV. Uh, if anybody has the Roku stick, you can watch us on Roku Live. And, uh, but a couple statistics. I read a book in 2007. Most of you should have just fell out of your chair right then when I said that I read a book. Uh, <laughs> I read a book in 2007 called Unchristian. And it was a book uh, largely produced by the Barna Group. George Barna, how many of you have heard of George Barna? Uh, does a lot of statistics. And I understand and realize that you can kind of skew statistics however you want, just depending on who you poll and who you interview and all these different things. Um, and this is one of the largest um, studies on faith and church and religion that, has, that had ever been done. And without giving you a whole bunch of the statistics out of that book, basically what it was boiling down is they were going out and uh, the guy who wrote this book uh, started to realize that there was a very um, skewed or negative look at a person who called themselves a Christian where he was at, and it, it was really throwing him off. And so he, decided, he worked for George Barna, and he started trying to put this thing together, and he started trying to figure it out. And so this is in 2007, right? And so it's already been several years ago that this book came out. And they studied all kinds of different things, and they were asked, they asked, uh, Kids all the way from, I think it was 15, I may have my numbers wrong, 15 all the way up to about 40 or 45. And they were trying to get a, a broad view and an understanding of people. And it, it had the, they called the outsiders people who were not in the church. And then there was a group, I think it was called um, Born Again Believers. And Born Again Believers isn't what we're automatically thinking of Born Again Believers. Born Again Believers was literally just people who had confessed Jesus Christ and believed that they were going to heaven. That's what born-again believers were. And then there was a, a term called evangelical Christians. And those were people that believe probably a little bit more like us. They believe that you have a responsibility and that you have power and you have authority and all these different things. And so basically what they were trying to do is, is get this, this understanding of why Christians were being looked down on. And what they found out is as they studied through the school age, they found out that in the majority of Christians, when, it, when you boil all these different things down to lying, cheating, stealing, is, is Satan real, is there, does the church have power, does it have impact in the world, and all these different things, between an unchurched person and a Christian, there is an average of 3 to 4% difference. That was staggering to me. Blew, I mean, as a youth pastor, it really blew me away because I'm thinking... You know, I'm dealing with uh, Christian kids, you know, and they have an understanding and, and these things, uh, they understand these things. But how many of you know that, that our world is struggling right now? We are in a time like we've never been before, uh, especially as this nation, and, and, it's, and it's crazy. And one of the things that, that I, obviously, I'm sure that you guys have been in this as well, but a lot of the conversation that's happening with, uh, with people right now is this transgender issue. And I'm not here to point fingers or do anything like that, but I'm going to make this statement. I truly believe that the, the course of the nation is our fault as a church. I truly believe that. And one of the reasons I believe that is if, like never before, the church is more confused about her identity than ever, so why wouldn't we have a gender issue? If the church doesn't know who she is, how are we supposed to know who we are? And, uh, boy, I, that was supposed to be like point number six or something like that. <laughs> so um, I, I was really struggling with these things. And so 
one of the things that I, that I started realizing, I started going back over my life, and, I've, and most of you have heard my testimony and stuff from being physically and sexually abused, uh, and supposedly all the things that are supposed to come along with that, and it's supposed to cause all these problems. I, I can stand here boldly before you today and tell you that I have never been confused about whether or not I'm a man or a boy, okay? So, and I understand, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to cast judgment on anybody or anything, because each person can go through something and every person will respond to it differently, right? And I truly believe that the, the hand of God was on me in all that, in all that situation and all that time. But here's what I, what's happened is we begin to open up a can of worms. Because what's going to happen when the guy that's on the internet that identifies as a cat, who's, who's, who's got the whiskers and done all the different things, what's going to happen when he goes to his place of employment and says, I want a litter box for my bathroom. You can't refuse me because I identify as a cat. Or what about the guy who identifies as a dog? And he goes to the restaurant and says, well, there's no dog treats on the menu. I'm boycotting you. I'm, I'm suing you because you're not dealing with my identity. Right? You understand what's going on? I mean, we've opened this thing up. And some of it is because the church has not stood up and taken their place. And, um, you know, there's, there's tons of crazy, I heard, uh, anybody know who Lisa Brevere is? John Bevere's wife. I listened to one of her messages and she was talking about, I think it was a, she watched an interview of a 52-year-old man, and I may have the numbers wrong, but I think it was a 52-year-old man and they were interviewing him because he identified as a six-year-old girl. And he already had children and grandchildren and all these things. And I thought it was funny because she was like, look, okay, that's fine. If you identify as a six-year-old girl, then you can't work because a six-year-old can't work. You need to give up your driver's license because a six-year-old can't drive. You know, I, I just thought it was funny, you know. But who in the world is going to stand up and say that now that we've opened this thing up, right? And so there's only one thing that can change this nation, and that's the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can change this nation. We've, we heard from uh, the prayer rally. You know, I thought it was so cool how all these things came together. I, I've had this message for... Two months, maybe? <laughs> Men, listen to your wives. <laughs> She's been telling me for two months, you need to preach this. I don't want to. It's not a comfortable message. Right now, it's kind of funny and light. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> we may get there. <laughs> and I think the reason I didn't want to preach it is because I was crushing my own toes. But God is calling us to something. You know, in the prayer, the... I can't remember what you called it, and you know my memory is all over the place. But I thought it was cool that the Janice came up and promoted that, and I'd forgotten all about it. Dad had sent me a text saying that we were supposed to do that. Pastor Mike and Pastor Jack decided that they needed a, a vacation, and they went to Florida, so please pray for them. <laughs> pray for rain and clouds and uh, tsunamis to happen and wash all the sand away. I'm just kidding. I've got, like I said, I've got too many notes with too many scriptures, and I don't know what, where to go from here, but I, I want to uh, keep going with some of these statistics because I've, in 2007, God really started prompting me with this. There's only a 3 to 4% difference between the kids that grow up in my youth group and the kids that grow up in what we would call the inner city or the unchurched areas. 
How can that possibly be? And I think sometimes what happens is as, as people in the church, I think we think it happens through osmosis. And, and that's what I thought would get me through school is if I slept on my books long enough that it would just get in there and I'd be able to take the tests. And it doesn't ha- we know it doesn't happen that way, right? God didn't make us that way. And I think what's, what's begin to happen is as a church, and remember when I'm saying church, I'm not talking about Resurrection Life Church. If it fits you, put the belt on, wear the t-shirt, and deal with it. If it doesn't fit you, continue to pray for it. Because I'm talking about the church in America. The church, and not just America, but around the world. The church, the body of Christ. And so these other statistics popped up out of uh, this study. There are approximately 350,000 churches in America. 350,000 churches in America. And out of that, four out of five are dying or have plateaued. On average... Let me, let me make sure I get these statistics right. I don't want to mess them up. On, on average, there's 350 churches that close their door every year. But the, but the population of the United States continues to grow. Less than 20% of Americans say that they attend church regularly. Less than 20%. America is one of four of the largest unchurched people groups in the world. There are over 200 million unchurched people in the United States. But I don't know about you guys, sometimes I kind of get caught up in this little bubble. And I'm like, I'm surrounded, everywhere I go, I'm surrounded by Christians. God is really doing great things. But then you read a statistic like that, and there's over 200 million in the United States. I can't remember the number, but I did a study, it's been several years ago, on uh, just Decatur, Illinois and Macon County. And I think at the time there were over 200 and some churches in Decatur or Macon County. And I, I'm just throwing out general numbers. Th- these aren't exact. I'm trying to, I can't remember them. I should have studied them. But I think it was over 200, 250 churches in, in Macon County. And less than 10,000 people on any given Sunday are in church. And Macon County has a population over of over 100,000 people. So technically, according to statistics, we are under the, the statistic. Because that's only about 10% of Macon County is in church on a Sunday. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't go to church. The funny thing was, in the study, they found out that 40% of the people said that they, that, they, that they go to church. But when they said, do you attend church regularly, they found out that 20% of them were lying. <laughs> I thought it was funny. One of the other things that, that shocked me, and, and I'm going to get all these statistics out of the way so I don't mess up. One of the, the, uh, the, uh, the biggest things that, that shocked me is as, as church people, four out, of ten America, or four out of ten churchgoers don't believe that Satan is real. Four out of ten believe that he is just a symbol of evil in the Bible. Four out of ten Christians Church-going Christians believe that Satan isn't real. And in that same group, another two people, so six out of ten, strongly agreed with the four that stood up and said, no, I don't believe that that Satan's real. But yet, if we look at Scripture, Scripture said that that Jesus dealt with Satan personally. So how do you deal with that? You either believe that it's all real or it's not real. We kind of pick and choose, don't we? We've kind of picked and choose 
what we've wanted. And so the, the reason I said don't get it confused and the reason I kind of titled that message this is Jenny and I were talking one day. It's been a couple months ago, and I don't remember if we were at the car or at lunch or whatever. She, she's one of the detail people's people. She, she knows all the details, so talk to her about this later, okay? But we were talking, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but more than likely, it was one of two things, because this is, seems to be the majority of our conversation. Our kids, our kids can't. <laughs> that, that's a lot of our conversations. And so one of the two things happened, and, and we were talking about something, and I can't remember if she actually said these exact words or not, and so I'm going to go ahead and give her the credit for it. I think I probably said it because I'm, no, I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. No, she said it. You, she's the one that said it? I had some, something to do with it, didn't I? I was the ear. I listened. That's what it was. I heard, right? Remember, men, I said, listen to your wives. Uh, she said, uh, we were talking about something, and again, I don't remember what it was, but she's, and I may have this saying wrong. She said, it's time to put down our crown and pick up our sword. Now, here's what I, some people are automatically offended at that. Because you think that I'm talking about the crown, meaning to set down our inheritance, to set down our royalty, who we are, who we belong to. Jason, can I use you? See, when you accept Jesus Christ... We get all excited about the things of God and, what, and the blessings and the promises of God, especially in the American church. In the American church, we really like the blessings and promises of God. That's the stuff we like to, to go off of. And I am not going to rip on this book. I'm just going off the title. I love Joel Osteen. I, I love what he promotes. Okay? I think he's a fantastic man. But there's a book that he has out called Your Best Life Now. And in that book, it talks about how to, to understand yourself and how to be a healthy person so that you can give to live. And, and it's, it's talking about how to make yourself better so that your time here on earth can be better served as a Christian. But I, the, the, the thing I'm focusing on is the, is the term, your best life now. How many of you know people and Christians that they keep praying for windows of opportunity and windows of blessings and all these Things of God to fall on them. But our best life isn't now in that term, guys. That terminology, the treasures of heaven, the things of God, the blessings and promises of God are for now. And yes, we are going to have prosperity and there are things that are going to happen. But if we're living our life as a Christian so that we can have a better 401k and we can have a better house and a better uh, financial status... That is not why Christ came to die. Christ came to die to set the captive free. And unfortunately, in the American church, a lot of times what we do is we accept Jesus Christ. Hopefully this hits. We didn't try this out. We get this, this crown, right? King Jason, heir to the throne, right? And this is awesome, and we get excited about that because we, we realize that we've bought into the kingdom of heaven, and now we're one of God's sons or daughters, and we've even sung about it today. We've had several things about it today, but one of the things that we greatly forget is that, is that crown also comes with a sword. You can't have the crown without the sword. 
Let, let's go to some scripture. Somebody take a picture of that. It's on Facebook Live. I'll let you sit down. I won't, I won't keep using you. No, I'm not sure, but go ahead and sit down for now. Because I, I might bring you back up here in a minute. Like I said, I don't know where I'm going because I don't know which notes I'm looking off of. In Matthew 28, at the end of that chapter, Jesus tells his disciples, I think it's in Matthew 28, 18, I think he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, now I give it unto you, go and make disciples. He gives them a charge. He tells them what to do, right? I want to look at Luke. I want to look at Matthew 11, I want to look at Matthew 16, I want to look at Luke 10, I want to look at Romans 5, 8, I want to look at Ephesians 6, 10, I want to look at 1 John 3, 8, 1 John 3, 16, or John 3, 16, James chapter 1 and James chapter 4. <laughs> Which one did I tell you to go to, Luke? <laughs> ah, I'm getting excited about all these scriptures. Luke chapter 10, maybe chapter 9. Start at verse 9, or chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus called together his disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The disciples had been following Jesus, watching how Jesus did church. How many of you would agree that Jesus did church different than had ever been done before? What was the state of the church when Jesus came? Was it succeeding? Was it prospering? Did it have a, a positive impact in the community? Would, it, would you say that it was probably in that four or five that we were talking about earlier, that four out of five churches were declining or plateauing, that they had lost their relative importance, that they had lost all relatively, relativity in the community? That's where the church was at. People didn't trust them. People didn't trust what was going on in the church. They were just going out of, out of habit, out of ritual. They were just doing it because that's what had always been done. I told this story before, and I don't even remember who told it first, but, but it's a funny story, and it's one of those ones that stick in my mind, so I'll keep telling it. And it was one of those special occasions, and the wife decided to, to make a meal, and so she went to bake a ham, and she cut the ends off the ham and put it in the pot and put it in the oven. And when dinner time came, the husband said, I wish we had more meat. Why did you cut the ends off, off the ham? And she's like, I don't know. My mom always cut the ends off the ham. And so the next meeting, they, he went to his mother-in-law and asked the mother-in-law, why do you cut the ends off of your ham? She said, I don't know. My mom always used to do it. And so he was lucky enough to find the grandmother at the next meeting. And she asked him, she said, well, the reason that I always cut the ends off the ham is because we never had a pan big enough to fit the whole ham in. <laughs> And so they're missing the blessing years down the road because they never understood what was happening in the beginning. And as a church, I think that's what's happened in America is, is we just start going to church and we're hoping that somehow, some way, people are going to catch it. And we just hope that they're going to read their Bible and we hope that they're going to do these different things. And, and unfortunately, what's happened in, in America is we've built churches around all these programs and, and communities and all these different things and we've stopped doing what the church is called to do. We can find that in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, let's go to 17, I think. 
This is the point in the sermon where my eyes are blurry and I can't read. When this, now, this is after Jesus sent the disciples out, the, the 70, not the 12, not the first. This is when he sent the 72 out. So this is the second generation church, okay? He sent the 70 out. and said, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us and we use, when we use your name. And Jesus replied, yes. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. Why didn't Jesus say that to the 12? The 12 were doing all the things that Jesus were doing. He, he, he was follow, they were following with him, and they were doing these things. It's amazing to me that he uses the scripture. It, it, it didn't come back when he said, Lord, we've, we've been in, at, at a weekend conference, and we have figured out how to put a women's program, a men's program, a youth program, and a children's program all together to reach the community. And, he, and then he would say, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What did he say he saw Satan fall like lightning from? When they went out and they cast out demons and they went into the areas that they weren't supposed to go to. And they began to make converts and make disciples. And they were doing what Christ had called them to do. Nothing wrong with conferences. Nothing wrong with those things. I'm just using that as an example. But if we're not careful, we can, we can get so busy doing good things in the church that God isn't even involved in them. We have to be about the Father's business. If we look at, at um, I don't know if we want to, I think in Matthew chapter 11, we'll see, I think it's the first time that Jesus even mentioned the word church in Matthew chapter 11. That's when he's talking, and when he's talking to Peter, I got to find it, sorry. to go it's in there I promise it's in there somewhere Matthew chapter I wrote the chapter down forgot to write the verse down and maybe, maybe I have the wrong chapter but it's when Jesus is asking them who he is and he tells he tells Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it first time he uses the word church and he built it on the truth and the understanding that Jesus Christ is the center and the cornerstone of it. Jesus came out of love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him shall not perish but shall be saved. Jesus loved people. Jesus was about compassion. He was moved with compassion multiple times in the New Testament when he's dealing with people. Unfortunately, so many times I think what happens to us as a church and, and me as an individual is I get so caught up in my own world that I forget that there's a world around me that needs Christ and needs his compassion. And I'm trying to get so busy taking care of my own and taking care of, of my life so that I can make it to heaven that I've completely forgot what I'm supposed to do. Church, every one of us is supposed to have a sword. And that sword, I know, in the Bible, it represents the Bible. I'm talking about sword as a weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, it, tell, it tells us, right? 
It tells us that the weapons of our warfare are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. That's our job. We are supposed to pull down strongholds. The weapons that we fight with aren't the same as everybody else. We wouldn't use a natural sword to pull down those things. We go to prayer. We go to our Heavenly Father in prayer and in the war room. We've got a war room back there. Unfortunately, I've seen that war room more empty than anything. And maybe it's because I'm stuck in the office trying to get my message together that I don't get out in time to see anybody in it. But I wonder how many times has God prompted us to do something, but we've been so busy trying to take care of ourselves and our own life that we, for, we have forgotten what we're supposed to do. In the Old Testament, wasn't, wasn't it Gideon that had to separate all the, the soldiers? Yep. They came down to the 300 or whatever. Right? And, they, and they weren't necessarily in a time of war, but the ones that he chose were the ones that still had a mindset of war. They hadn't forgot everything else. They still realized that, hey, I'm a soldier. I know who I am first. I'm a soldier first. And therefore, I'm going to drink like a soldier. I'm going to carry myself like a soldier. First John chapter 3, verse 8. Is anybody catching this in the spirit? And like I said, maybe it's my own toes I'm stepping on today. But I I see our nation at a very crucial point. Are we so busy looking for heaven that we're forgetting to still pull people into heaven? I wonder if we get so excited about putting on the crown... I know this won't fit my big old head, but we'll, we'll go ahead and sit it up there. <laughs> see, if I, see if I can balance it out. We get so excited about the crown and the fact that, ah, I'm going to heaven. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we get so busy and get so caught up and excited about the things of God. Oh, did you feel God in worship today? Did you, did you, right? And we get talking about those things. Man, I got so blessed today. When was the last time that you talked to somebody and said that they had went to war and they had literally snatched someone from the pits of hell? When's the last time that you heard a Christian going into an unchristian place, not so that they could party with the other people, but so that they could pull somebody out? Now, I know i got some church moms in here and some, some church grandmas. Now, I know that some of you guys have prayed for some people. And you've prayed for families to turn around. And you've seen God do some of those things. That's warfare. That's doing some warfare. In James, I think it's in James chapter 4, and I can't, let's just go there. Because I'm going to mess it up. I've already messed it up. I'm, I'm not anywhere close to my notes. But James chapter 4, here's one of the things that I think has happened here in America. If you can read Romans chapter 1 in your spare time. It perfectly describes where America's at. Romans chapter 1 perfectly describes where we're at. That we've set up idols and we've begun to worship idols and God's turned us over to the things that we want. Right? God's turned us over. There is some judgment. We are reaping the benefit of the things that we've lusted after. Romans chapter 4. That's what I said. (laughs) James chapter 4, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to start in verse verse 3. And even when you ask, okay, let's start in verse 2. 
You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. I want, you know, I wonder what would happen. You know, there for a while there was a, there was a big movement of the name it and claim it thing. Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that kind of stuff? Name it and claim it, it'll be yours because everything you set your feet on is, is yours and you're heir to the throne and he owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills so it's already yours, you just need to name it and claim it. That had everything to do with satisfying the lust of our flesh. What would happen if we started going around and, and sitting outside of a bar and started naming and claiming every person that walked out of it? What would happen if we changed our motive, right? The reason that HGTV is taken off is because we all want something bigger and better. I can remember my grandma and grandpa, my mom's mom and dad, Russ and Marna. Now, they, they passed away when I was in, in my early 20s, so granted, there's a lot of things that I didn't really realize about them. But the entire time that I can remember of my grandma and grandpa, they lived in the exact same house. They drove the exact same cars. They sat on the exact same couches, never carpeted anything. For those of you that don't know, my grandma was four foot ten. She was a giant. <laughs> my grandpa was six foot or six foot one. It was kind of funny. My grandpa, when he built the house, had all the, the, the uh, light switches lowered so that she could reach them. He lowered the bottom kitchen cabinets so that she could reach the back without having to get a step stool to, to wash dishes. Everything was custom made for her, but as a, as a kid, I never saw them do anything to their house. Now, I take that back. My grandpa sided the house. I forgot about that. He did side the house, but that's just maintenance, right? But HGTV takes off, and now we've got to repaint every bedroom every three years because it, it, a new trend is in, and we've got to get new carpet because this is out, and we've got to change the sinks and the faucets and everything, and I'm, I'm all for that because I sold home improvements for years. I wish HGTV would have been out in the 90s so I could have made my $100,000, right? I wish that would have happened then. But now, it's, I mean, it's popular. You've got backyard crashers, and everybody's unhappy with their yard. I've got more flowers in my, in my yard than I've ever had in my, I, I know I do some yard work. My yard isn't pretty at all, right? But I've got more flowers than I've ever had, and all we keep doing is we look at it like, oh, we need some more flowers, Right? <laughs> But isn't <laughs> so, so we're going to hire some of these teens that are doing, doing the landscaping for kids' camp and stuff like that. We're gonna just going to buy flowers and have them plant flowers everywhere, right? But think about it. D don't you find yourself watching these things, and you're, and, and you're engrossed in them, and you're like, well, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. But what's it for? It'd be one thing if you're going out and you're bringing people in and you're remodeling a bedroom because you went and picked up a homeless person and you're giving them a place to stay. We keep saying that's what we're going to do. Now, again, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the church. Some of you are getting mad at me. It's okay. Did I ever tell you where to go in James? Oh, we didn't finish reading. I got sidetracked. Squirrel! <laughs> a couple of you remember that message, didn't you? <clears throat> Verse chapter 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, 
don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Man, I've read that scripture I don't know how many times, and every single time it hits me like a ton of bricks. Because there's things in this world that I I long for. There's things that I want. And it's not that we we can't have any desires. You understand what I'm saying? There is a balance there. But I think we've switched so far the other way that what's happened is we've laid our sword down and we're dancing around with our crown playing king and queen. Oh, isn't God so good? Look at all the blessings that he's done for me. But yet we haven't even loved on our neighbor. It says love your neighbor as yourself, not love your neighbor's stuff so you can have it. And that's hard because we're drawn by our eyes, right? Let's Let's look at the rest of this. Verse 5, what do you think the scripture means when they say that the spirit of God, oh, I I think that was it. I think that was all the further I was going to read. Jump to verse 7. It says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jump all the way down to verse. Seventeen. Remember. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then do not do it. Another way to read that is to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it. To him, it is sin. That hits me so hard, guys, because I know that God has put me in this world for more than having a a house for for my family. I know he's put me in this world for more than a bank account for my kids to go to college. Nothing wrong with college. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. But if that's the sole focus of what we're doing, our Christianity is really lost. What is it it really for? Can we put down our crown and pick up our sword and start fighting? It's not easy. It's not easy. It's not even something that a lot of us want to do. How many of you know that, that one friend that likes to always get in an argument or always get in a fight, right? For them, it's easy because that's all they want to do. But for most of us, we try to avoid those things. We don't want to stand up and offend anybody. But isn't that what Christ came and did? He came to offend the world so that he can show them love. Now, I'm not saying going around telling everybody they're a jerk and they're ugly and all these other things. That's not what I'm saying, Right? I'm not giving you permission to finally speak your mind, and that's not what I'm telling you to do. All I'm asking you to do is will you look at others with love? Will you do what Christ has asked you to do? Back to Luke. Man, I've been all over the place today. Luke chapter 10. I think I already read it, but I want to I go back to this. Verse 19. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. Why are we afraid of the tactics and the people of this world? Why are we afraid to stand up for what is right? I watched this this, uh, interview with Jim Caviezel. Anybody know who Jim Caviezel is? 
he was the guy that played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ. And he, quote, he quoted, where did it go? Which notes am I in? He quoted John Paul II and said, Freedom exists not to do what you like, but having the right to do what you ought. The second thing he said is, and this was his own quote, is everyone wants resurrection, but no one wants suffering. Everyone wants to celebrate that we're going to heaven, but no one wants to suffer. Everyone wants to party in the resurrection and, and the glorious part of life, but no one wants to really suffer. No one wants to take time and get down on their knees and pray. No one wants to take the extra time to deal with the other. Isn't it funny that Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, but then he calls us sheep? Anybody, does that stuff ever catch anybody off? He calls us sheep and he's the shepherd, but he tells us to go fish for men. Sheep don't eat fish food. Fish don't eat sheep food, right? Did I say that right? But isn't it funny that so many times that we go out and we try to be like the world? Listen to these things that Lisa Bevere said. He calls us to be a friend of the world, not friendship with the world. He calls us to clothe the naked, not get naked. I can't read my own writing. What in the world does that say? I can't even read it. <laughs> I don't even know what it says. It was good. I promise. <laughs> the next one that she said is she said, quench the thirst of the world, not thirst for the things of the world. I thought it was so cool how God tied those things in. But so many times, we as the church, Pam, if you would like to come, the worship team, if you'd like to come, I have no official close to this other than will you respond to what God's doing in you. But I want you to think about this. I, talk, I was talking about the sheep food and the, and, the, uh, and the fish food. We go out and we try to talk about church to the fish, and the fish don't want anything to do with it because they're not sheep. Right? And, I, and I've, I've been guilty of this. I tell my teens all the time, when was the last time that you went to school the next day and told them how much fun you had at church? They don't care what you did at church. They're fish. You're a sheep. But he still tells us that we got to go, so we've got to, learn how to, we've got to learn how to reach out to those that are in need. We've got to learn how to love them and come alongside them. We've got to learn how to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. We've gotten to this place where we walk around with the authority. We walk around with the authority of Christ. Look, I'm a Christian. We're talking about all these things, and we have, we have a, a look of a Christian, but we don't have any power of a Christian. You've got to have both in order to change this world for Christ. Church, can I ask you today, will you take off your crown and pick up your sword? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this service. God, I pray that somehow, some way, that you would use the words that were spoken today 
to prompt something on the inside of them, to, to nudge the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Lord, I know that not every one of us are dealing with this, but Lord, as a nation, this is something that we are dealing with. God, as a nation, we need to humble ourselves and we need to pray. Father, we need to bow our knee and bow our head, Heavenly Father, and come into your presence and spend some time in the war room with you. God, I'm asking that you would forgive us, Lord, for getting caught up with the things of this world, getting caught up in the cares of this world instead of pursuing Christ, pursuing your righteousness. Father, I pray that today, Lord, that you would help us, oh God, Lord, to, to recognize the power that has been given to us and to stop denying the power before when we truly begin to be the church and exercise the power and the authority that you've given to us, just as the 70 did, Lord, that we will see Satan fall. We will see Satan fall like lightning because you are above all. You've given us the authority and the power over kingdoms and, and, and princes and powers of this world. Your word tells us that. And so, Lord, today we want to stand on those promises. We want to stand, Heavenly Father, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail when the church does what she's supposed to do. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to stop having an identity crisis. And Lord, that you would help us to understand who we are and that we would begin to proclaim who we are and therefore be the standard in the world. Begin to change this world back for you, O oh God. Lord, we know that there are, there are millions of people, as we, as we heard today, over 200 million unchurched people in this, in this, in this world today, in, in America today. God, there still is a, a cry. There still is a reason, dear Heavenly Father, to go to battle. There's a reason, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, to get down on our knees. Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that our hearts would break for what breaks your heart. Father, I ask that today, Lord, that no one would leave this place without surrendering themselves and committing themselves to you. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your power and your authority that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, to use it with wisdom and to use it with love. In Jesus' name, amen.